Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Well, welcome. I guess I'm going to be speaking from over here because I'm not strong enough to carry this thing over there. Thank you, Hercules. Break my back. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Good morning. Good morning to the Sunday after Easter. We are taking an expanded look, a tour of Easter, because face it, you know, we kind of rush up to the holiday and we celebrate the holiday and then we're on. You know, what's that favorite phrase? Well, we'll just move on. And yet, you just don't move on from uh, the remarkable events that surrounded Easter before that Sunday and after that Sunday. You see, last week we talked about and celebrated uh, Easter, that is the empty tomb. But all we have there is an empty tomb. Where's Jesus? And so we want to continue because this is the basis of our faith. 1 Corinthians 15 just tells us, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, we are pitiful fools. And so this is why this is really a big deal. Remember the promise of Jesus, I will not leave you as orphans. Because I live, you'll live also. So, does Jesus keep his promises? We have the empty tomb, but where's Jesus? What happened those weeks following the resurrection? It merely becomes a fact of history that fades somehow in significance. I mean, if I follow Jesus Christ, I want to follow, I want to know, am I following a was or an is? Is Jesus alive? Am I celebrating some great historical thing that Jesus came and died on the cross and we're still having a party over it? Or is it the fact that Jesus is very much alive and that he is, as he promised, engaged with every detail of my life? I want to know if Matthew 28, one of the last words Jesus shared before he left the planet, is true or not. When he said, lo, I am, what was that? With you until the end of the age. So I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ, that he's alive and he keeps his promise. Now I know that the concept of faith is foreign to some. All it means is trust. And some people say, well, the concept of trust is kind of foreign to some. Oh, come on. We all trust. We trust somebody. We trust something. Uh, um, Did you have somebody do your taxes this year? Hello. You are trusting them and you're not going to go to prison. See, I'm trusting that Jesus is very much alive. And that when he said he was the way, the truth, and the life, that means now in my life. And so what happened after that resurrection? There's really a strange passage. A lot of Christians miss it, or they're afraid to actually uh, take a look at it. And it's written by Matthew. And Matthew says this in Matthew 27, beginning in verse uh, 50. Now, this is right after Jesus is on the cross at this time. And he cries out, and they think he's calling for Elijah. So they sit back and say, well, let's see if Elijah uh, saves him. And then we pick it up in verse 50. It says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So he dies on the cross. Now what happened? And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two 
from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Whoa. How many of you have never heard that passage? How many of you have been scared of death to wonder what in the world is going on here? Because what's talking about is that after Jesus Christ and dies, immediately the veil. Now by veil, remember in the temple, you had the Holy of Holies that separated God really from the people. So the people were separated, the priests would then go into the Holy, and then the Holy of Holies, the high priest, once a year. So there was a clear separation. When it comes to access to God, I am sorry, you're on the outs. You're on the outs. And a lot of people are not going to understand when they hear that Jesus died on the cross, why would they understand the significance of that? Who cares? And yet when they find out that in their holy temple, all of a sudden that, that curtain that separated them from the presence of God is ripped, not from the bottom to the top, the top from the bottom, like somebody just took the side and went, rap! And all of a sudden, access to God is wide open. Does this have something to do with this Jesus dying on the cross. So instantly it opens up. Now you add to that, that he dies, and there's an earthquake, and tombs are open. But it's not till his resurrection, and the day of his resurrection. Now how many people get to see the resurrected Jesus? Not that many. I mean, it's in a garden. Just a few. Well, how are the rest going to know? Well, all of a sudden, guess what happens to them? Old Grant and great-great-grandma's walking in downtown Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, they have these people who had died in the Old Testament, and now they are coming out of these broken-up tombs, and they're walking into the city. What is that thing all about? Think it through with me. Here, Peter in Acts 2 will stand in the temple, and he'll say, This Jesus you crucified was raised on the third day. Why wouldn't people go, boo, that's a bunch of baloney. But instead, 3,000, 3,000 believed it. Why do you think they believed it? Because they knew something happened on that Easter morning. Because they don't know, they didn't get to see Jesus rise from the dead, but they saw a whole bunch of other people. And even though it sounds so strange, talk about getting the word out. Because people had heard about John 11, about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So when all of a sudden the early eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ began talking about Jesus is risen, there was a resurrection on the third day, people all of a sudden realized this is credible because of what we saw of these folks who had been dead come into Jerusalem, into the city. Now what's interesting with that is look at what then happens. Turn, if you will, and our text really is Luke 24. And turn to Luke 24, because we have an empty tomb. Where's Jesus? Here's the answer. It starts off in verse 1. But on the first day of the week, that's that Sunday, at early dawn they came to the tomb, and they were bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. It's an empty tomb. 
While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. It was so far out, they had a hard time believing that was really going to happen. And they returned from the tomb and reported these things to the eleven, the eleven disciples, remember Judas is gone, and to all the rest. Now you think they'd be real excited, right? Wrong. Verse 10. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James. Also the other woman with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense. <laughs> they would not believe them. So when the apostles first heard the testimony of a resurrected Christ, they went, that cannot be true. Talk about a fanciful, wishful thought of some women. But Peter got up and he ran to the tomb, stooping, looking in, and he saw linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. Tomb's empty, like the lady said. But where's Jesus? All we've got is an empty tomb. Well, then notice what happens next. Verse 13, And behold, two of them, two of these followers of Christ, they were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. Well, while they are talking and discussing, guess who shows up? The missing Jesus. Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. <laughs> they weren't even looking for him. Remember, they thought the whole thing was nonsense. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem unaware of the things that have happened these last few days? Where have you been, buddy? And he said to them, what things? <laughs> I don't know. Like I say, I see humor in the Bible no one else sees, and that's, I'm quirky. But I love it. He goes, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deeds and word and sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to the sentences of death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was who he was, going to redeem Israel, that is, blow up the Romans and take over and set up a little Jewish kingdom. We'll be the big dogs. He says, but indeed, beside all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed when they were in the tomb early in the morning and they did not find his body. They came saying that he had seen a vision of angels and they said he was alive. Ah, can you believe that, buddy? Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, and we found it just like they said. It was empty, but him we did not see. And then he interrupts them. And this is really, talk about building a relationship. 
And he said to them, O foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses, he goes ahead and explains the scriptures. He's referring back to, for example, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 you have, and this is in the uh, 8th century B.C., 700 years or so before Jesus ever came. And you have a description, detailed description of the crucifixion. And you're wondering how come someone's getting crucified. And in verses 10 and 11 of Isaiah 53, it says, And the Lord, the Lord asked if it would be pleasing that his son would be offered as a guilt offering. The suffering servant would be offering as a guilt offering. Now, every Jew understood what that meant. That that death, that crucifixion, would be basically like a lamb being sacrificed on an altar for the covering or the forgiveness of what? Of sin. And if somebody would own up that they need that forgiveness, the forgiveness is provided. And now you have access to the Father, not as some creator that you're scared to death of, but Heavenly Father is engaged in your life. And because what was ripped in, in half, at his death, the veil in the temple. It's like, get the point. The point is you can now have access to your creator as your heavenly father. So he went and he stays with them. And when he had reclined at the table with him, he took bread, blessed. And then their eyes were open and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. <laughs> this is great. Now these guys are sitting there going, what is going on? And so they're freaking out a little bit at this point. And they want to know, well, was that Jesus? But now he's gone. Well, that's, is it just that there was a glimpse of Jesus? Boy, you, you can blow a glimpse, can't you? Well, here's a little more than a glimpse. Verse 36. Again, Luke 24. While they were telling these things, he himself stood. They're in the upper room. And they're scared to death up there. Why? Because their leader just was arrested three days ago and executed. And they followed him for three years, so they expect the Roman soldiers to show up at this room, arrest them, and do the same. So they're locked up into this upper room, and they're scared to death. And then it says, he himself stood in their midst. Doesn't say he knocked on the door. Doesn't say he came through the wall. It's like he stepped from one dimension to another dimension, and boom! He's right there in the middle of them, in the midst, and said to them, Peace be to you. Why do you think he said that? I had to keep them from having cardiac arrest, right? And they're, they're sitting there wetting their tunics right now. Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened, and thought they had seen a ghost, a spirit. Then I love what Jesus says. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me. See, for spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And then when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not, now remember, these are the guys, when they first heard it from the women, said this whole resurrection thing was what? Nonsense. Now, talk about eating apple pie. Here they are, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands, his feet, 
And while they still could not believe it, because of the joy and the amazement, he said to them, and this is my favorite verse, have you anything to eat? (laughs) Do you know in our resurrected bodies, we get to eat. And here he is. Do we have, do you have anything to eat? Well, these were these men who were scared to death in this room. They walked in that room fearful, and they leave that room what? Fearless. Fearless is the word. J.N.D. Uh, Anderson is a lawyer. He writes this. I thought it's insightful. This is what he says. The most drastic way of dismissing the evidence would be to say that these stories were mere fabrications and that they were pure lies. But so far as I know, he's a lawyer. Not a single critic today would take such an attitude. In fact, it would really be an impossible position. Think of the character of the witnesses. Now think this. Men and women who gave the world the highest ethical teaching it has ever known and who even on the testimony of their enemies lived out in their lives. Even their enemies realized they lived godly, high ethical lives. Think of the psychological absurdity of picturing a little band of defeated cowards cowering in a little upper room one day, and a few days later, boom, transformed into a company that no persecution could silence. And then attempting to attribute this dramatic change to nothing more than convincing than a miserable fabrication. They were trying to foist upon the world that simply would not make sense to a thinking person. End of quote. Here's the question. Do men die for a fabrication? These guys just thought it was nonsense. And they saw not just an empty tomb, but they saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. They conversed with him. Every single one without, without, without exception, sealed his eyewitness testimony to the resurrected Christ with his own blood. Andrew, brother of Peter, he was nailed to an X-shaped cross, hung there for two days. And while he was hanging there, pleading for people to believe in the resurrected Christ. Bartholomew, known also as Nathaniel, he was skinned alive and crucified head downward. James the Greater, son of Zebedee, brother of John, beheaded and stabbed with a sword by Herod Agrippa around 44 AD. James the Lesser, son of Alphaeus, first bishop of Jerusalem, in his 90s thrown off a pedicle from the temple of Jerusalem, then stoned and his head bashed with clubs. John, the Beloved, Well, he was basically banished by Domitian on the island of Patmos. That's where he received the book of what? Book of Revelation. Jude, Thaddeus, he wrote the book of Jude. He's beat with a club, then crucified in 72 AD. Matthew, Levi, little Matthew, martyred around 60 AD by being staked and speared to the ground. Simon Peter, crucified in Rome by Nero, crucified around 68 A.D., upside down, because he didn't feel he was worthy to die like his Lord. Philip, impaled with iron hooks in his ankles, hung upside down until he bled to death. Simon, called a zealot, he was martyred by crucifixion in Britain in 74 A.D. Thomas, 
Dynamis, doubting Thomas, thrust through by a spear in India. Mark, John Mark, remember John Mark? He was dragged to death. Luke, the physician, hanged on an olive tree. Matthias, the one they added, stoned and beheaded in Jerusalem. Saul, beheaded by Nero in Rome. James, the half-brother of Jesus, thrown off a hundred-foot wall, done to him after he repeatedly refused to deny he saw the resurrected Christ. He survived the fall, and they beat him to death with clubs. No exception, folks. These are the eyewitness apostles and followers of Christ that saw not just an empty tomb, but they saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. These men died all because they had seen the resurrected Christ and sealed their testimony with their own blood. How do you discount that if you're a thinking person? Now Luke tells us in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus spent 40 days after his resurrection appearing to many. That's Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. And in the epilogue of John's gospel, this is interesting to me, Jesus has some unfinished business with John. Uh, I'm sorry, with Peter. Why? Well, what did Peter do just before the crucifixion of Jesus? He what? On three occasions. He denied. He denied Jesus Christ on three occasions. So Jesus is going to fix that up. At the last chapter of John, it says in verse 11, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land. Because some guys on the coast saying, well, throw your net on the other side and you'll catch fish. And they're going, boy, this sounds familiar. So they do it and they did it. And all of a sudden, Peter realizes in John that this, this is the resurrected Jesus. And Peter jumps in, you know, <laughs> he's, he, he takes a little swim. And then Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of large fish, 150 of them. And then it says this, Jesus said to him, come and have breakfast. Now by the time they get to the shore, Jesus has breakfast ready. How does Jesus, in a resurrected body, how does he make breakfast? Simple. He simply goes, breakfast. <laughs> I mean, come on. Psalm 40 says that he created the earth, heavens and the earth, with the spoken into existence. I think he can speak breakfast. And then he come up, and then this is the section where Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And, and, and Jesus says, Peter, do you agapao? Do you love me? And Peter's kind of sheepish. He, so he says, Lord, you know I like you. He changes the word to philo. Why does he just say, yeah, Jesus, you know I love you, God's love? Because he would expect Jesus to say, well, then why did you bail out on me three times? So he comes back, well, you know I have an affection for you. Jesus says, tend my sheep. And his second time, Peter, do you agapao me? Peter goes, well, you know I like you, philo tend my sheep. Third time, and Jesus changes. Peter, do you even like me? Philo. And that's when Peter breaks down and cries. Says, Lord, you know all things. Do you think this affected Peter as this would be his last conversation with the resurrected Christ? <laughs> Peter would go on. He'd be the first apostle to declare the resurrected Christ right downtown Jerusalem on the temple steps. Hegesippus, he's a theologian, in the beginning of the second century, he says that Nero sought to put Peter to death. But the people urged Peter to flee Rome. So Peter could have got away. And he was persuaded to do that. But we're told that when he came to the gate of Rome, he saw Christ 
coming to him. And he asked him, where are you going? And Jesus said, I come again to be crucified. That's when Peter, apparently perceiving his suffering, he turned, returned to the city, and he was arrested. Jerome tells us that, quote, Peter was crucified, his head being down and his feet upward, himself requiring because he was, he said, unworthy to be crucified after the same form and manner as the Lord was. John, who's the only one permitted to live out his life, dies in 8100 at around close to late 90s. His last words would be, these things have been written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you might have life in his name. Jesus then would leave 40 days after his resurrection, and then he would say before he left, just before he left, and you shall be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem and in Judea and the Samaria, even to the most parts of Scottsdale, Arizona. Luke will tell the rest of the story in the book of Acts. I love the way the book of Acts ends in chapter 28. Have you ever noticed? It doesn't end. Paul is sitting there under house arrest, sharing the resurrected Christ, and the book ends, because it doesn't end. How do you account for over 2,000 years the words of Jesus are still being fulfilled? Because in Luke 24, the last thing Jesus says is that the word of the gospel will be preached and it will reach around the globe. It has and is reaching around the globe. So Jesus said in John 14, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. There'll be a time the world will not see me, and therefore they believe I'm gone. I no longer exist. But he says, I shall come again, and I shall receive you to myself, so that where I am, you shall be also. Because I live, you shall live also. It was H.G. Wells who said, It is any wonder that this day, this Galilean, is too much for our small hearts. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christ like I believe in the sun. Not just because I see it, but because I can see everything else. See, it's Jesus Christ that makes everything else in this world make sense. Just look around. We're heading in a bad direction. And yet it is Jesus who will return, the resurrected Christ. And everything that's wrong, he's going to make right. And everything that's been right, he will reward. I read this interesting perspective, and I close with this. The present age is Easter time. It begins with the resurrection of the Redeemer and ends with the resurrection of the redeemed. Between lies the spiritual resurrection of those called to life through Jesus Christ. That's now, that's us. So we live between two Easter's. And in the power of the first Easter, we go to meet the last Easter. What he's asking is, will there be a last Easter? Jesus raised from the dead unto eternal life. Is that going to happen to you? Is there going to be an Easter for you? You die. What happens to your soul? And in your soul, is it ever reunited 
in some kind of glorified body like Jesus. Is there going to be a second Easter for you? Well, maybe we need to take a serious look at that. Oh, ran out of notes next week. (laughs) We'll continue this tour of Easter because there's so much more. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are not just left with an empty tomb. Although we saw last week, nobody can explain it. But as we've learned at this part of the tour, it was empty because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And he made a promise to us, Lord, you're not a was, you're an is. Jesus, you are alive. And you sit at the right hand of the Father and you are our intercessor. And you make sure the Father's engaged with every detail of our life. Until we look forward to our Easter when we're going to be reunited with so many others who've placed their trust in the resurrected Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that as we see the foundation of these eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ willing to suffer, be beaten, skinned alive, to die, all because they would not deny. They saw him. Why would we flippantly walk away and ignore that? What kind of non-thinking people could we be? And so, Lord, I ask your spirit to convict us of truth. Our hearts be given over to following Christ, our trust in him, until that wonderful day when no longer we walk by faith, but that day we walk by sight. We wait in hope, and we look forward to the promise. And this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.